I'm Sharon Betters, and you're listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. When you visit markinc.org, you'll find many free resources that offer help and hope to hurting people. In this conversation, you're going to hear a young woman transparently share how she battled anorexia when she was in high school. You know, according to statistics, thousands of young people struggle with how they see their bodies and their identity, and often many travel a similar road that Rebecca traveled. Also, moms are often the ones who first notice the changes in their teenager. So we've invited Melissa Weissenfels, herself a young mom, to join this conversation. So Melissa and Rebecca, welcome. I'm very excited to have both of you in the studio today. Rebecca, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are right now with your life? Okay. So I am a rising senior at Karen University. I'm a music major, and my hope for graduate school is to study music therapy. That's fantastic. And I, I have a feeling that because of the journey you've already been on, that's made you even more tender and sensitive to the needs of people and how music can be a healing agent in their lives. So that's great. So we're here today to talk about a, a particular struggle that you had in high school. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? So when I was a junior in high school to the time about my senior year, I struggled with anorexia nervosa. I think that probably the driving force behind this was probably my desire for perfection, which I think is still very present in my life. I have always strived to do what's right and to please others. And it began to manifest itself in a very dangerous way when I was in high school. And what is anorexia nervosa? Anorexia nervosa is a mental disorder in which the subject starves themselves excessively to lose weight. So in our culture where body um, is so important and in this era of our culture, the thinner the body, it seems like, the better. And teenagers especially are being hit with that kind of picture and thinking. So the pressure to measure up, especially, as you said, to be perfect, must have been enormous for you. And how old were you? I was 17 when I first started struggling with it. And what were some of the first signs that you recognized at that time? I think... At first, I didn't really see anything completely wrong with what was happening with me and what I was doing. I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to be thinner. And so I began to just limit my calorie intake until I was only eating about 500 calories a day or less. And that's when I started to realize something was wrong because I was tired all the time. And I stepped on the scale one day when I was in the 11th grade. And I realized that I was the same weight I had been when I was in seventh grade when I was 13. And it scared me so much that I began to want to recover, but I didn't fully recover until the summer after my 12th grade year. What physical signs were there in your body that you recognize something isn't right here, the scale, but was there anything else I think that for people with eating disorders, especially something like anorexia, it's a lot of times very hard to see yourself the way that other people are seeing you. I didn't seem to realize how thin I was until I look back at pictures that were taken then. 
now. And I mean, for me, I think what I first started to notice was my hair thinning out and just feeling completely exhausted all the time. It would get to be six at night and I would already be falling asleep. At that lowest weight, did you still see yourself as heavier than you wanted to be? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I would. You still saw room for improvement. Yeah. I did want to lose weight even then. It was like, in my eyes, I hadn't lost any weight at all, if that makes sense. I just couldn't seem to grasp how much weight I had really lost. I, I think that's probably one of the, uh, the hard things about dealing with an eating disorder is that the person sees something different in the mirror than people who love her see. You know, that perhaps your family recognized you were losing all this weight, that's enough, but you don't see that. And I appreciate you saying it's a mental disorder where your brain actually is not working the right way for you to be able to see reality. That had to be scary for you and for the people who love you. Yeah, I remember one time in particular when my sister just like screamed at me because she was so scared for me and she just wanted me to be better and I just couldn't see it and I couldn't see how sick I was. And I think that's the hardest part about having an eating disorder is trying to separate what's true and what's a lie in your head. And a lot of times you can't discern for yourself and make sense of it. Looking back at those years, freshman, sophomore year, your friends, the influences around you, the activities you were involved in, did those influence the way you viewed yourself at that time? Were you, did that shape that perfection mentality based on the, the social influences and what you were reading or what magazines you looked at or shows you watched? I think something that definitely contributed to my desire to be perfect was the fact that I had gone to the same school for I mean, all 14 years of my education, I had grown up with the people around me, and a lot of times they would say things like, oh, well, Rebecca is so perfect, and like, Rebecca never does anything wrong, and things like that, and so I just saw this, I guess, need to be thinner, because again, as you said before, Mrs. Betters, it's so apparent in media today, um, modeling fashion. Often the people that we see on the runway are unattainably thin. Sometimes it's not healthy. And young girls often use that as a role model and try to look that way. But as was the case with me, it turned into a dangerous situation. It's such a conundrum, what you just described, because it sounds like you were a good girl, quote unquote, that you were obedient, that you were kind, that you were nice. Everybody probably liked you, and um, and you wanted to be that person. Um, but I can attest to that feeding, that people-pleasing kind of mentality. And how, how do you uh, feel about that now? Do you feel as though people-pleasing was part of the problem that you were struggling with? Yeah, I definitely think that for me, because I do frequently try to make those happy that I love and that I care about, people-pleasing was definitely an attribute of my, I guess, onset with anorexia nervosa. And I mean, I recognize that now as 
something that's not healthy. And although I do want to do what's right and make people around me happy now, I need to also keep in mind what's going to be healthy and best for me and what God would have me do. And when you first started recognizing that something was wrong, did you have friends to talk to? And how did you go about addressing it with your parents or did they come to you first? I started, I guess, getting concerns from a couple of my friends' parents who saw how thin I was getting and would say things to me like, Rebecca, are you eating enough? You look great, but are you eating enough? And I would say things like, oh, yeah, I'm like fine. I'm just exercising more or I'm just limiting starches or something like that. And my mom realized that something was going on, but I think that she was one of the people that I kind of wanted to hide it from the most because I didn't want to disappoint her and I knew deep down that what I was doing wasn't healthy. And so I had friends who finally convinced me to talk to my parents because I was just not doing well at that point. And I finally talked to my mom and she had a conversation with me about what was going on and how I was feeling. And then I also ended up talking to a teacher at my school who had struggled with anorexia and kind of got some guidance and counseling from her. And what was the hardest part of those conversations for you? I think the knowledge that I was worrying her and that I had hurt her in a way because, again, because my eating disorder was focused so much around people-pleasing, it was kind of this standoff where I felt like I couldn't tell the people that I loved and cared about because I didn't want them to be disappointed in me. But then I also had the idea that if I didn't lose weight and if I wasn't thin, then people were going to be disappointed in me. So I'm a mom and I have a young daughter. What would be your advice to a parent to handle that conversation or be prepared to be open and supportive and encouraging? The most helpful thing that you can do, the most impactful thing that you can do is to just let your child that know that no matter what, you're going to be there for them every step of the way and that recovery is going to be possible and that you're going to help them make steps to be able to attain recovery. So you described a moment where you stepped on the scale and something clicked inside of you. What did you do next? Well, my parents actually weren't home when that happened. I was home with the rest of my siblings who were all younger than me. And I remember just kind of frantically going downstairs and getting a can of ginger ale out of the fridge because I felt like that would be the easiest thing for my stomach to digest and I needed calories in my body because I already hadn't eaten much that day. But I got to about halfway through the can and I felt like I was dying because when you have an eating disorder, especially one like anorexia, um, where you just limit your calorie intake so frequently, your stomach can't hold more than it's used to at that point. It shrinks. And so my stomach just was not used to having more calories than I already had that day. 
and I was in a lot of pain, and I was even more scared than before. And I remember just frantically calling two of my friends who lived in the neighborhood and just calling them over and over again because they were out and they wouldn't pick up. And finally, they called me back and said, what's going on? And I told them, and I ended up spending the night at their house, and they talked to me and said that they were worried and that what was going on was really not healthy. So what what happened next? Then you talked to your mom after that? Yeah, after that, I ended up talking to my mom, I think, the next day, actually. And, I mean, understandably, she was really worried, too. And we talked about it and talked about steps to, I guess, help me through this. And what were those steps? Honestly, it was either I started trying to get better or she would send me to therapy and I didn't really I really didn't want to go to therapy because I just I guess I didn't really want to admit how sick I was at that point and I did try to get better into my senior year of high school but things just I just relapsed again I was doing cross country and so for a while I was kind of forced to keep eating so that I wouldn't collapse while I was running but after that, all the old feelings and thoughts just came back, and I relapsed pretty badly. And so what did you do? Well, after I relapsed again, I, well, I was on a missions trip when I first started wanting to get better, and I was spending all of my time playing with orphans and talking to people about God's love, and I guess it kind of made me realize that I was not in a good place in my relationship with the Lord. I just couldn't really feel his presence in my life at all because I had shut him out. And I just started to want to get better in that moment. I felt so lost and I felt so alone and I didn't know how I was going to get better and it felt impossible, but I knew that I at least wanted to try. And this is when you were a senior or after your graduation? This was when I was a senior, but I didn't really start actively trying to get better until the summer after my senior year. So what practical steps did you take to find that healing, to find that recovery? Well, I did talk to my teacher that year who had struggled with anorexia, and she, I guess, it was really helpful to talk to someone who had already been through it and who knew what was going on in my head. And so I started to just slowly build up my calorie intake each day until I was eating a normal three meals a day again. And I still struggled with those thoughts, but it wasn't quite as bad as when I wasn't eating. And I guess, though, the best step that I took with recovery wasn't until college because I still did not want to go to counseling, but I had a friend at college who I guess kind of recognized that I would really benefit from counseling even though I wasn't actively starving myself anymore and recommended that I go to Oasis, which is Karen's free counseling center, and I got counseling my sophomore year of college for my eating disorder and for the thoughts that were still in my head. And what was it about the counseling that helped you turn a corner? Well, at first it felt kind of hopeless because I went in and they said, 
what do you want to accomplish with these sessions? And I said, I just want all of these thoughts in my head to go away for good. And they said, well, sorry, but that's not going to happen. And I guess I thought, well, great, why am I even here? But they said, what we can help you do is we can help you separate the truth from the lies in your head. And we can give you strategies to combat these lies and to affirm the truth. Do you know what your mom was thinking and feeling during this period in your life? I mean, I think she definitely felt a little helpless because how can you save someone from their own thoughts? Mm-hmm. Well, as a mom, as I listen to you, you know, we, we strive, you know, to raise our children well, to strive to be their best. But at the same time, there's a fine line between wanting them to, you know, bloom and flourish into all that they can be without the pressure of being perfect, without the concern that they're going to be a disappointment. How would you share to the moms out there the fine line between loving and encouraging their child to be their best without the expectation of perfection? That's so hard, and I think that almost with every child it's going to be different, but I think the biggest thing is to, while you want your child to succeed and you want them to strive to be their very best version of themselves. It's also important to remind them that perfection isn't attainable. Failure's okay. Yeah, and that failure's okay. I think one of the things, because I'm the old lady in the room right now, (laughs) and I'm grandparenting now, and grandparenting little guys, we call them the littles and the middles and the bigs. And so they go from age 8 to 26. And I think one of the biggest aha moments for me spiritually was as I was pleading with the Lord for someone that I loved very much, a young person, recognizing that the moments where I fell more in love with Jesus as a young person were in those moments where I recognized my failures and my sinfulness, and yet He loved me all the time through it. And even though I do not want those I love to struggle or to go through hard places and hard times, I recognize that it's in the darkness that the Lord's treasures are revealed to us. And so there there really starts to be a freedom in praying for that child and saying, Lord, this is your child, and I'm trusting you to use those broken places to turn her heart toward you. It's hard. That's, I mean, speaking to moms out there, it's probably going to be one of the hardest things for you in your parenting is praying with open hands and praying for that balance of, of communicating to your child God's unconditional love. And frankly, the best way to do that is to experience it yourself is to recognize that your child doesn't have to be perfect and, in fact, will never be perfect. And that's perfectly fine because that's why Jesus came, so that we could experience his love. And I think it's an ongoing battle. And I I mean, even at um, the age I am, I have to constantly be in the word for him to remind me of the grace that covers 
those broken places in my life and that his love, even though I messed up all along the way, he never stopped loving me. And as we experience that, that message, we can communicate that to our children because it's just part of who we are. And it sounds like your mom did just that, Mm -hmm. um, especially with the timing of your struggles, um, senior year, going into college. You know, she opened those hands. She, She let you go off to college. And that's really where you ended up finding the right people and the right help and uh, the counseling center that that you attribute a lot of healing to. Um, And with that, you shared that you'd gone on this mission trip, that obviously it sounds that you were raised with faith, family. You had head knowledge of, of your relationship with Christ, but it really sunk into your heart at that time when you were on that missions trip and really recognized that you needed your relationship with Christ to be personal for you, not just one that you were raised with, but your own intimate relationship with Christ. Faith is very important to you, but could you share a little bit about when you came to know the Lord? So I was raised in a Christian household, and so I first accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior at the age of six. And then I was baptized at the age of 12. And I guess, I don't know, I wasn't as active in my faith as I would have liked to have been in those earlier years, and especially going into high school. It wasn't until my recovery with my eating disorder that I really began to seek God again, and that I really wanted to establish that relationship with God. And now it feels kind of like making up for lost time. During that time of recovery and, and the healing process, was there some Bible verses that you were pointed toward or discovered on your own that you really clung to that helped you maintain faith and looking back to him for that hope? I think that one of the verses that really helped me was Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, which says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it just kind of reminded me that when things were really bad and I couldn't seem to escape from what was going on in my head, that God was always there and that through prayer I could cast all of my anxiety on him and he would comfort me. But prior to that, you also shared that it was difficult to to pray. You struggled with um, casting that anxiety and that fear to him. Um, what helped you open back up to prayer? Was it family and friends? Was it a pastor in your church? Was it, you know, where did you get the direction to really go back to prayer as, as a starting point? My mom was definitely a major catalyst for that because she kept saying things like, you know, you really need to take this to God or to share with God what's on your heart and really seek him for help during your recovery. And at first I felt like it wasn't going to make any difference and it, like how on earth could that help me? Mm -hmm. But it did. And it definitely gave me the peace that God was present in my recovery and that he would be every step of the way. And what would you say to a young person that might not know God, might not have that faith or a faithful person in their life to point them to prayer? I guess I would say that you are beautiful and God has made you so. No matter what the world, society, anyone is telling you, because people will try to tell you otherwise. And you are never alone because God is present with everyone and 
if you seek him, then he's definitely going to help you with your recovery. What was recovery like for you? Was it easy once you once you got into counseling was, oh, okay, now the lights are on and everything's good, or was it a struggle? Recovery was definitely not easy, and it was a constant battle to eat the food that was in front of me and to push away the thoughts and recognize them as lies that said that, you know, I shouldn't be eating or that I didn't deserve to eat because I had thoughts like that all the time. And... I think especially with a mental disorder like anorexia, you are going to battle those thoughts for pretty much the rest of your life. And it's important to realize, though, that the battle for recovery is not hopeless and that many people do recover and that no matter how hard it seems at the time, you can recover if you actively try to. I can only imagine that during recovery... When you're talking about an eating disorder like anorexia, you have to watch that scale continually tick up regularly from your lowest weight and watch that number continue to move. And with that, I would imagine, and you can correct me, but there would be a lot of guilt and shame that comes along with seeing that number move while knowing that it's healthy and the battle between those two, the truth first lie that you keep referring to. How did you handle the guilt-shame component? I did end up learning a lot of tactics in my counseling during my recovery that really helped me with that because it is very scary and it does make you feel guilty when you see the numbers rising and it's two different kinds of guilt. You feel guilty for feeling guilty because you know that it's healthy, but at the same time, you feel guilty because you've been wrapped up in the lie for so long that you're only worth something if the number on the scale is low. And what was one of the tactics that helped you see where your worth really rested? The tactic that most helped me was my therapist had me write down thoughts that I would have during mealtimes, um, things like, you shouldn't be eating that, or you don't deserve that food, things like that. And she would have, she'd write them on the board, and then she would have me think of a response from God that would be something like, you need to eat to be healthy, you are beautiful the way you are because I created you so, things like that. And that really helped me to affirm the truth in my mind instead of listening to the lies. So as we've talked, I've uh, picked up several things that I think were important for you in your journey as you came to that turning point. It was important for you to have friends and people who loved you. You needed community. Your mother, of course, was a key person in that journey. Your friends who encouraged you to get help. Counseling, which for some reason many do not want to uh, participate in, probably because it feels very threatening and invasive and we're private and we don't want to let somebody into those inner thoughts. But for you, counseling was a key. Uh, biblical counseling for you was a key because the antidote to the lies was the truth of your creator, the one who created you through scripture. Uh, so the truth coming from scripture and knowing what those scriptures were. Um, think about the people in your life who um, did help you recognize that there was a problem and you needed to get help and speak to parents, teachers, 
youth group leaders, friends of someone that they recognize is having a problem, what can they say or do that would help that person? I think the best thing that you can do for someone who is struggling with an eating disorder is to, first of all, remind them that you're there for them no matter what. I think it's also very important to urge them to seek help because what I've found to be true is many people with eating disorders are not going to seek help on their own because going into recovery means that you're actually going to have to recover. And a lot of people with anorexia especially don't want to. And what about offering to go with the person to say, I will go with you to the counselor or to the youth group leader or the pastor or your parent to help you talk through this? It might be helpful to get them started, but I think after that, the journey is definitely going to have to be their own because eating disorders are often a very private struggle because they are contained within your head. So I think that you can definitely be a catalyst for change and offer to help them to get with getting help. But after that, the choice to recover and to try to actively recover is going to have to be their battle. So Rebecca, you've gone through therapy and counseling and you seem to be doing very well at school and have a tremendous future ahead of you. Do you still struggle today, being a few years uh, after you've started your counseling? Are you still struggling? How do you see yourself today? And uh, why were you so willing to to share this story with us? I definitely do struggle today. I think that it's it's definitely something that stays with you for a very long time, those thoughts in your head. But because of counseling and therapy, I do have ways to combat those thoughts now. And I have been able to go to people in the past, in the past year actually, and say, I'm having a really bad day. Will you be able to pray for me? And they've prayed for me and been with me. And I think that that's definitely one of the best things you can do when you're having a bad day is to, again, think of what's going on in your head and say, okay, how am I feeling? Is this a truth or is this a lie? And who can I talk to to get affirmation or to ask for prayer? And I think it is going to be something that I might struggle with for the rest of my life, but it doesn't mean that I have to relapse again. (laughs) And I don't think I will. But I guess I was so willing to share this with people because I think that talking about anorexia and eating disorders is so important. And we don't do it enough as a society. It's kind of a gray area So no one likes to talk about it because a lot of people can't understand what it's like to go through an eating disorder. But it's definitely something that needs attention and awareness because there are so many people who silently struggle with this and who do need help. And I guess I hope that by sharing my story, at least one person may find hope or be able to recover. So for the the young people out there listening to this, you would encourage them to speak up and seek help and and find someone to talk to because there is hope 
and there is recovery and they can do it. Yeah, definitely. Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing your story. And we're confident that more than one person is going to be touched and encouraged. And those who love the person who is struggling are going to be better equipped to walk with them on this pathway. And I really appreciate you saying that this is something that's struggled with in isolation. It's hidden. Uh, we don't talk about it. And that is one of the purposes of Mark Inc. Ministries in producing these interviews, these conversations, to address those life crises that are often experienced in isolation. And also, people just don't know how to help the person that's hurting. And so our goal is that this conversation that we've had would be listened to by many people, and it would shed some light on a very real struggle that is being experienced by thousands of people, and especially young people, teenagers, who often are not equipped to reach out for that help and that hope. So we are grateful for your transparency. And as you're listening to um, this conversation that we've had with Rebecca, it's possible that you recognize that this is a faith-based organization developing resources that have a faith theme, but you might be wondering how could Rebecca have such an intimate relationship with God? And the reason for that is because of her relationship to God's son, Jesus. At some point in Rebecca's life, she came to know Jesus as her personal savior and as the reason for her freedom to be able to turn to the Lord with the struggles that she has. And you heard her talk about scriptures and praying and the reason she has confidence that she can turn to the Lord with her struggles is because she knows that Jesus has made the way for her. This might sound very strange to you and foreign. And so what we would encourage you to do is to ask the Lord to open your eyes and your heart to the truth of his scripture, that you would get a Bible. If you don't have one, ask a friend, um, borrow one from a church or go to a bookstore, go online and Google search for Bibles. There are all kinds of Bibles online and start with the book of John and start watching Jesus interact with people as he walked this earth and ask God to open up your eyes to who Jesus is and what he came to do and to open up your heart to the gift that God has for you through Jesus. And we all believe that as you do that, the Lord will use the scripture to guide you. Secondly, if you are struggling with any kind of life crises or as Rebecca has shared an eating disorder, the things that Rebecca did that have put her on the pathway to recovery are similar for every life crisis. And that is to reach out to someone, to ask for help and to listen to a story like this. And so we invite you to go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you'll find many, many stories 
of redemption, stories of people whose lives were turned upside down, sometimes by choices they made and sometimes by circumstances beyond their control. And every single story is going to offer help and hope to you as someone who is hurting, or you'll find help and hope to offer to that friend of yours, uh, that family member who is broken by life right now. So thank you so much for listening. We encourage you to visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you'll find more help and hope for the hurting.